we cry out, Jesus. In our desperation, in our longing, we lift our eyes to the heavens. The Savior that was promised reached down to us, becoming flesh. At his entrance, they laid palms at his feet, as today, in his presence, we fall to our knees. We cry out to him, hanging on the cross, the righteous one whose blood broke the curse. With an act of love that saved our souls, overflowing redemption making us whole. No nail to the bones could hold him. No crown of thorns could shame him, because he is the one. No tomb could contain him. Death could not stop him. He conquered the grave and rose from death victorious. We cry out, Jesus, 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 you are the resurrection and the life. In you, all things come alive. We will forever declare the mighty power of your name. We cry out with everything we have. We need you, Savior, and nothing else, because in you, we are saved by grace. Your glory will shine upon the world, and every tongue will cry out, Jesus is the Lord. If you don't know me, my name is Derek. I'm the Fishers Campus Pastor here. I think I said that before. I wasn't sure, but I went ahead and go for it again, right? <laughs> um, but hey, I thought it would be important to go through the Apostles' Creed before we begin the message and before we pray. So uh, it's what we believe. It's a, one of our statements. of, of uh, It's really central to the Christian walk and Christian journey. And I'll explain that throughout the message, uh, different portions of it and what it means and and even how it applies to our life, but I was telling my wife about that last night, and our daughters have been studying uh, the Apostles' Creed, and my daughter was excited. She said, oh, Dad, I have the Apostles' Creed, so she gave me the version that's from like the third century, and uh, I didn't understand any of it. Most of me was all old English. It was a little bit more difficult to understand. I said, baby, I can't use it. She says, I got you, Dad. I got another one you can use, so she brought me this piece of paper that, that uh, has the Apostles' Creed on it, the modern one today, and uh, it's, been, it's been changed here and there throughout the centuries, and, but it's all truth. So it says this, it says, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and the maker of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> I had to read it from this because it was awesome. It's like a treasure map. Uh, so thankful she gave that to me. But uh, we'll, we're going to talk about a portion of that today. I can't, I can't dive into all of it to the extent I would like to. But we're going to talk about how Jesus descended into hell and a little bit of background on that. I think it's, a, it's an area of this that, that most people don't understand and maybe they don't even know. So before we do that, let's pray. 
Father God, we're so thankful once again that, Lord, that you're here, Holy Spirit, that you inhabit the praises of your people, that wherever two or three gathered in your name, you're amongst them. So, Lord, we ask that you will move today. Pray that you would help me, Lord, with this message, that it would be a blessing to your people, that you would be honored above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostles' Creed, to, to, to go to the part where Jesus descends into hell, i got to give some background. And so I'm going to start with this story in Luke chapter 16. It says, now, there was a rich man, verse, verse 19, let me give some, a little bit more background before I just jump into the scripture, but Jesus is encountering this group of religious elite people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees uh, really believed they had it all together. They were the ones who said that they had it right. They were very pride, prideful and proud. And they would always come against Jesus' ministry because Jesus gained more notoriety. He was healing people. People were listening to the Pharisees less and listening to Jesus more. So they're always jealous, always coming against him and testing him. So this is one of the times he confronts the religious people who think they got it right and they're getting into the kingdom of God. So he said, Jesus says to them, he tells them this story that is, uh, it's, it's not a parable. Jesus sometimes would tell parables uh, about things that, that weren't necessarily happened just, just to illustrate a story. Well, here he tells a story that's true. So it's not, it's something that had happened, I believe, because there's, there's uh, names that are used, Lazarus and Jesus, and most parables, that, that's not the case. And then also, Jesus didn't just make up these two different areas of eternity that, that are real, he's telling something that had happened in the past. So starting at verse 19, it says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitly dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And the poor man named Lazarus that laid at his gate covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the breadcrumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And I'll explain that in a minute. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So you have this, this rich man and poor man. The poor man goes to this place of paradise and the rich man goes to the place of torment in Hades. It's in the same, same place. So, and then there's Abraham's bosom. You might be like, what is Abraham's bosom? Well, I'm here to help you. <laughs> so Abraham was the father of our faith, and he's the one who first put his faith in the covenant promises and the faith that God would even raise his son back from the dead because God said, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son who you love, up this mountain, which is the place that's at, is now modern-day Jerusalem where Jesus died. Take him up the mountain and sacrifice him to me. I want to know that you love me. So he takes, he takes his son Isaac up the mountain. His son carries the wood, and Abraham carries the fire. Just like Jesus carried the wood on his back up the hill, and he died because of his father's will, so did Isaac. So Isaac's going up. Isaac says, hey, Dad, we got the fire we have, the, we have the, the wood, but where's the sacrifice? I mean, I could see like sons putting together like, I don't want to do this necessarily. And, and he says, Abraham says, Isaac, my son, the Lord is going to provide a lamb. He'll provide a sacrifice. 
So they get up there. He, Abraham ties his son Isaac to the altar. Isaac willingly lays down. Uh, Abraham's about to stab him with the knife to slay him. And he's stopped by an angel of the Lord. And he says, don't do it, Abraham. Now, now God knows that you fear him. And because, he, because God knows you fear him, all peoples will be blessed through you. And your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Because you've done this. Because you've obeyed me. See, Abraham put his faith in God that, he would, that, he, that uh, God would even rise Isaac back to life. So he's called the father of our faith because he had faith in the Lord that the Lord would provide. And the Lord provided a ram that was slain instead of Isaac. So he called the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides on, Mount, on the mountain. And so he's the one who believed in the coming that the Lord would provide a way for atonement for our sins. So that's explaining a little bit about Abraham. So when Abraham died, he went to this place that's now called Abraham's bosom. Because it, Abraham was the one who, who acted in faith and God counted his faith as righteousness. Does that help understand that a little bit for you today? Good. So, in, in even the place that, that they're in, Abraham's bosom, uh, to give a little bit more uh, background or a little bit more support, the, the people believed in Jew, the Jewish people, they still believe in this place to the day. That's the place of the dead. They don't believe people go to heaven. And Jesus, even he said that even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, the belly of the monster, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. And, and he even tells the thief on the cross, he says, hey, before they die, the thief's like, hey, will you save me? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, I tell you, this day before you die, you will be with me in paradise. And then fast forward, after Jesus rises from the dead, he tells Mary, hey, don't touch me because I haven't ascended to my father yet. Well, he didn't go to heaven. Jesus went into hell. The Bible says he led, he led captives that were captivity triumphantly into heaven and gave them gifts after he ascended on high. So just to give a little bit more understanding that this is, this is a, a legit thing. So and he cried out, the, the rich man cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said to him, Child, remember that during your life you were comforted here, but now you're in agony. And besides all of this, between us is fixed a great chasm, so that which, with which that, uh, whoever wished to come over from from here to there are not able to, and none of us can cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, that you send him, speaking of Lazarus, to my father's house. And he said, he said, for I have five brothers in order that I may warn them so, they may not, so that they may not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from them, from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham says to him this, he says, if they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So this is a rebuke to the Pharisees who are religious elite. And Jesus is giving them a hint, like, even if the dead come back to life, you're not going to believe that the way of righteousness isn't doing good. 
it's not us being being better for ourselves and I've I've done more good than evil I'm going to make it into heaven no there's there has to be atonement like Abraham he had to give a sacrifice in place of his son so he tells them that and then Jesus goes and he starts he starts proclaiming the kingdom of God telling people the mysteries of of heaven he starts uh, even bringing people who are dead back to life he starts uh, healing the sick and in, in setting the oppressed free under demonic oppression. He does all of this, and the Pharisees get to a point where he does this one miracle, which was so public and couldn't be refuted, that they then said, let's kill him. And it happens in John chapter 11, and it deals with this other man named Lazarus. Now, this other man, Lazarus, is not the same Lazarus we read about. It's another man, but it's also a testimony to the Pharisees about how God had already told them, even if someone rises from the dead, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. <laughs> even if someone rises from the dead, you won't believe. And so what happens is Jesus is in this certain place. He's told some messengers come to Jesus and say, hey, the one you love, Lazarus, he's sick. So Jesus ends up saying, because of that, he stays where he's at two more days because he loves them so much. He, does, he waits, and then he tells his disciples, hey, Lazarus is dead. We need to go, we need to go, uh, go, go see them, go to Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem. And then uh, he ends up going uh, to the town, and he sees Mary and Martha. Martha's the first one to get to him, and she says, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So she admits it, that, that he is Lord of all. And Martha goes and gets Mary, and the people who are mourning, it's, it's a little weird, but they would hire uh, mourners who would come, and they would, they would mourn with the family. I think that's odd. But that's what the Jewish culture did. So, so all those people ended up coming to the tomb, coming to see Jesus. Mary went to, to meet Jesus. And, and she says, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. She's weeping. Jesus is weeping. He says, take me to where you laid him. And so verse 38, Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, he came to the tomb. And now it was a grave and a stone was laying against the entrance. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's been a stitch. The dead man's been dead for four days. It'd be like if a preacher was at a funeral and said, hey, open the casket, right? Like right before they put it in the ground, go ahead and open it up. And everybody's like, no, what's wrong with you? That's what's happening here. So Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe you sent me. 
And this, is, this miracle is going gonna, is gonna to propel him to the cross. And even in this moment, he knows that. But he said it for those who were standing around. He did it for you and for I. Even this miracle for all the world. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So, verse 44, the dead man ended up coming, coming forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings around his face and with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told him, told them all the things that Jesus had done. So there was that testimony of what Jesus had done. Jesus tells them the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and, and it's, it's also to help show these guys, even if someone rises from the dead, you won't believe. And so he rises Lazarus, another Lazarus from the dead. Those two aren't connected, but, and, and they still don't believe. And then they actually get angry. They get upset. Because Jesus does something nobody else could do. And even in Greek mythology, the, the person Hades, he would always win. And at this time, it was the Greek world. He would always win, every time. And even in the following chapter, the Greeks come to Jesus and say, hey, we want to see Jesus. It's because he conquered Hades. Hades never lost. It was a testimony of the whole Greek world, this was, this was a bigger event than we think. It was a huge deal. So the Pharisees are upset. In verse 47 of chapter 11, it says, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And they're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. This is an antichrist agenda that they have. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, then the whole nation perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Not only the nation only, but but in order that he might also gather together the children of God who were scattered abroad, so that from that day on they planned together to kill him. So they, they end up having this, this plot in their hearts of we need to kill Jesus. Let's do it. Let's, let's conquer him because we can't ref refute that Lazarus is alive. So it spurs Jesus on to the crucifixion. So Jesus had to go to the cross. He was on his way to the cross. And I want to explain why Jesus had to go to the cross. But to explain that, I need to go back through the Apostles' Creed. So the first portion of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator. The Bible says that God breathed life into man. He said, hey, let us make man in our image. He breathed life. We're made in the image of God. He's our father. And then what happens is man's in relationship with God. And then sin enters the world because Adam and Eve sin. And so then 
when there was this close fellowship and relationship that, that they had with God, what happens was there was a separation because of sin, because God is righteous and holy. And when evil entered, God couldn't have relationship at the level that he wanted to with us. So the Bible says that, that all have sinned, Romans 3.23, all, that, there, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, and it's a spiritual death and spirit, a physical death. So there's that, that death, and then Hebrews 9.27 says each man is destined to die one time and then face judgment. So don't, don't be deceived. You're not going to die and, and come into a life of another animal. You're not going to die and then come into uh, come live another life. You didn't live a previous life on this earth. You have one shot, and then you face judgment. And the Bible's the final word on that. So what happened was, God made a way because he says in Leviticus 17, he says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. It's important. He says, I have given it to you for atonement for yourselves on the altar. That is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And Hebrews 9 says, in fact, the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of the blood, there's no forgiveness because the life is in the blood. Worship team, you can come on up. The life is in the blood. And so, so Jesus ends up coming. And the next portion, the first portion of, of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin Mary. So remember, the life is in the blood. Mary is standing there, and the angel shows up and says, Blessed are you, highly favored of the Lord. And she's told, you're going to conceive a son. He'll be the Son of God. And she says, how can this be because I haven't been with a man? And, and the angel says, the Holy Spirit is going to cover you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. So the one who will be born will be called Holy of God. So, so the Holy Spirit is, it can, helps conceive Jesus. So that's, it's important to understand this because the, the virgin birth is central to our belief in Christianity. Because if Jesus was born of a man, the blood of the father is passed down. It's not the blood of the mother. And when the blood of the father is passed down, the life is in the blood. And life was taken from the blood when sin entered. So then when God stepped in, the creator of heaven and earth, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. It was holy blood, righteous blood, full of life, not knowing sin. And you might say, well, then how can Jesus be fully God and fully man? Remember the first portion of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in, in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. It's because we're the created ones. He's the creator. He can do that. He can make a, someone fully God because he, he's the almighty God. He's the author of our faith. That's how. That's, that's how... That's how Jesus came in without an earthly dad, was because it was the creator of all. Conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of a Virgin Mary. Next portion of the 
Apostles' Creed is he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. So remember that life that was in the blood? There had to be shedding of blood, like Leviticus says. Without the shedding of the blood, there can be no, no redemption of sins. So because Jesus was pure, he was fully God and fully man, he could atone for sins because he did not know sin. And he was tempted just like you and I. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was taken, he was betrayed, he was ridiculed. They took him to this, they took him to this place called the Praetorium. The Praetorium was where the Roman soldiers stayed. And the Bible says that they had their way with him. They struck him with rods. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns. It was actually more like a helmet on his head and beat it into our Savior's skull. They took a cat of nine tails, which is nine different strips of leather that are 12 to 16 inches long or more. Then at the end of them are bone, glass, or metal, and then they would dip it into water to make it real heavy, and then they would strike their victims with it. They might have even dipped it into alcohol to make it sting more. And then they'd whip their victims. They could only whip 39 times a Roman citizen because 40 would kill a man. But Jesus wasn't Roman, so we have no idea how many times they whipped him. What we do know is the Bible says Jesus wasn't recognizable as a man. That his own mother didn't recognize him. And he did that for your sin and mine. I've sinned. I've done things wrong. Sinning is just falling short of God's standard. I've stolen. I've lied. I've betrayed. I've hurt people. I've thought about hurting people. We've all, we've all sinned. Every one of us. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus stepped in. That's why Jesus had to come. Why he was born as a baby. He came so that he might suffer for you and for me. And the whips and the lashes he took was also for our healing, Isaiah chapter 53 says. So then Jesus, they, they nailed him to the cross. They actually didn't necessarily nail into his hand. They actually nailed most likely into his wrist or just below the wrist. And if you squeeze that, there's a, there's a, a nerve ending there. So they nailed him and they nailed him to the cross, his feet, his hands. He's on the cross. One thief ridicules him. One thief says, hey, don't ridicule, our, don't ridicule Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. See, there's two camps. There's those who believe and those who don't. The one that didn't believe and ridiculed, he didn't go to, he didn't go to the place of paradise. He went to the place of torment. And the same for the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus went to the place of paradise. He trusted in the atonement for the sins to cover, waiting for the Jehovah Jireh to rescue him from Abraham's bosom. We have a choice. We can either put our trust in Jesus or put our trust in ourselves. There's only two camps. It's not black and white. It's not brown and yellow. It's not woman or man or or what it, it, it's it's uh, do you believe and follow or do you not those are the camps so
So he suffered under Pontius Pilate, and then he descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 8, says, When he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives and gave gifts to men. It says he ascended as, what does that mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also the one who ascended above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Jesus went to Hades and took those people captive and took him to heaven who were waiting for the promise of the Lord, who believed in him, because Jesus hadn't even come yet. So God is righteous and he separated them from the evildoers, the ones who followed their own desires and ways. He did that for them, and then he then it says that he took the keys that Satan had, the keys of hell, and he holds the keys of Hades. He's greater. So he rises from the dead. It says, He ascended to heaven where he sitteth at the right hand of the Father. From thence he shall judge the quick and the dead. There's only two groups. You know, we had we had some members of a church pass away. You may have heard about it in the news this week. Jeff and Patty Lumpkin, and then their friends, Rick and Beth, they have relatives that come to church here. And we want to honor their life. But they died, and then they faced judgment. And they're believers. I'm confident that they're in heaven. I had a conversation with, with Jeff last week. You may walk out of here. You may die on the way. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But it's true. None of us can elude death. One day we're going to face it. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not. I just saw Jeff and he's gone. He's in a better place. He's in heaven. He's worshiping Jesus. He's having a wonderful time. Patty's having a wonderful time right now. They're in the arms of our Savior. But if you don't know the Savior, there's another place that isn't talked about, the place of torment. And God said that he doesn't desire any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The next part of the creed says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who's pulling you. If you feel pulled to the heart of Jesus, it's him, it's not you. He wants you to know him. God the Father, I believe in the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. What's great is the gospel has great news because the gospel says, hey, you sinned, but guess what? Someone made atonement and stepped in for you. You don't have to walk in unforgiveness because Jesus came not only to cover our sins, but purify us and make us brand new. That's the good news. We can be with the Father one day. We don't have to be slaves even to sin because of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who convicts. He's the righteous God. I believe in life everlasting. That part, life everlasting, there's either everlasting, every, every camp, there's everlasting terror or there's everlasting splendor. So this is my question for all of you today. 
Jesus said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. My question is, do you believe this? Just like Jesus said to Mary, do you believe that? 